Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for the privilege of your word that we can share together and read it together and that your spirit will come and help us as you have promised to speak to each one of us. And so we, your children, are waiting to hear from you, Spirit of God. Speak to us through your word this morning, for we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Who likes to people watch? Come on, be honest. I love it. And, and summer is the best time, isn't it? Because you can wear those dark sunglasses and nobody can see that you're actually looking at them when, when they're looking at you. Do you know that moment when you people watch and you're there in the tube and you realise that they're people watching at you as you are at them and you never know quite what to do in that moment, whether to smile and just acknowledge that you've just looked at one another when you're not spe- we're very English you're not supposed to look at each other at all or, or you, you just pretend that you haven't and you sort of look around and, and, uh, or whatever but one of the best places to people watch is at the airport isn't it? Oh, yeah. don't you hate it when you're there when you're waiting for somebody it's, it's terrible isn't it? You're, you're standing there and that door is like a million miles away and you're just standing there watching people as it swings open, waiting for the person that you're waiting for. And, you, and you're there kind of, no, not that one, no, not that one. And then, then you get so bored that you start looking at luggage tags to see whether they were, might be on the same flight as your person's flight. Because you're never quite sure, especially at Heathrow, quite which day of the week they're actually going to arrive and come out with their luggage. People watching. But the thing about airports is that you've you got to love all those, the way that people react to one another. The hallows and the goodbyes are incredible, aren't they? I don't know if you've seen the film Love Actually, where they, love is all around and they starts off in the airport. Want to see where love is? Go to an airport. And you see these people hugging one another and saying, oh, are you going off? And there's tears all piling down their faces. Or, or the ones where they completely block up everybody coming out of the door because they're so excited about the person. As soon as the door swings open and they see them, they go underneath the rail and the whole family goes out and there's this big backlog of people trying to get out, but they can't because there's this family surrounding this person, loving them, kissing them, hugging them and blocking everybody else up who've just had a 10-hour flight and are rather irritated by the fact that they can't get out. The thing I really don't like about flying, I sound like a grumpy old guy here, don't I really, but I just dislike the, you know when you go through all the gates? You know when you're going flying? It's just like, you check in, like that, your luggage goes. And then there's this long snaking queue where you have to take off virtually every item of clothing that you put on, you know, and you stand there and... If that's not enough, they've got these naked scanners now that they scan you just to make sure. And then you've got to put it all back on again and, and then you go through. And it's this whole thing of going through until you actually get on your flight. Seems to take forever. But it's important, isn't it, that we have those checkpoints in place. It's important that we don't just stop people going through whoever wants to. I went once uh, to London City Airport 
and my mother-in-law was flying out to Switzerland to go see her son in Switzerland. And I went with her, and, and she's, she was quite elderly, so I, I went up to the, the gate there, and, and as far as I could go before she went through all security. And I was a little bit nervous to make sure that she was going to get on the right gate. And the security guy was there, and I started chatting to him, just, just, do you mind if I wait here, just to see, make sure she can get through security? Oh, you go ahead with her, he said. Just don't go out of my sight. And I was like, this is not, this is unusual here. Because you could actually go through the gate with her and make sure she got through. And then I came back and said, thanks so much, that's very kind. And make sure she gets on the right plane. Gates, doors are important. We go through loads of them at airports before you even get on your flight. They're there to protect us. They're there to welcome us. They're there to channel us through different ways. And Jesus in the Bible, as we've been looking at names of what he calls himself, the I Am's, today's reading, he calls himself a gate. He calls himself that that place that we channel our way through for protection, for direction, all these different things. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. But before we read it together, we need to understand that it comes out of John chapter 9. You can't really divorce one from the other. He's talking to the same people in the same context. And in John chapter 9, Jesus talks to, or he meets this man that's born blind. And he, and he says, I'm the light of the world, to this guy that's been in complete darkness his whole life. And they're having this discussion. You look at John 9 verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because they understood that if you had a physical sickness ailment, that it was due to sin. That if you weren't completely healthy then there was something, it was, it was God visiting sin upon you or upon generations before you. Because you'd done something wrong. You'd done something bad or your parents or your grandparents or so on had done something and therefore the punishment of that was a physical sickness, a physical ailment, disability in your life. And so they're asking him, well, did this guy sin or was it his parents that sinned? Because... God wouldn't have allowed him, this is their thinking, to be born blind if he hadn't done something. So, what is it? And and Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. And then he goes on and he heals it. He spits on the ground. He makes some saliva and some mud with the saliva on the earth. He puts it on the guy's eyes and he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he does that, the man sees for the first time. And then the man goes and he, the Pharisees are there and they see this and they get really upset. And they get upset with him for three different reasons. Firstly, they get upset because they believed, as I've just explained, that sickness is a punishment for sin. And therefore, if he has now been made well again, It must be because this Jesus fella has forgiven him his sins. And who can forgive sins? Only God. So who's this Jesus guy standing up there saying, I'm going to forgive these guys their sins and I'm going to prove it to you by making him well. 
And they're going, hang on a minute, that's our job. We're the, we're the religious people here, we're the leaders of the country, the Pharisees, we're the clergy, we've got the dog collars. It's only us that can do that. You guys can't forgive sin, only the clergy can forgive sin. What's this guy doing? And so they're upset with him. And they're also upset with him because he does it on the Sabbath. Look in verse 14 of chapter 9. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. And you know that you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath and spitting on the ground, making mud and putting it on a guy's eyes. That's considered work. And you can't do that. It's not allowed. You're breaking the rules. And so they got upset with Jesus because yet again he is being flagrant in his abuse of the church rules or of the Pharisees, the, the rules of the age. How dare he just go ahead and break the rules that we've set down and established? It's in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Keep the Sabbath holy. What's he doing? And the third thing is that obviously he healed this man and they couldn't. You've got a guy that's coming to them saying, I want to see, I want to see, they can do nothing. They have no power of their own. They're not connected to the source. So they can't do it. And here's Jesus going, okay, let me heal you. And so there's this real antagonism that comes out of that at the end of chapter 9. And they call this guy in, the guy that's been healed, and they start questioning him. Who did this? How did this happen? What's going on? And he's going, I don't know. Don't ask me. This guy came along. I said I wanted to see. He did this, and now my eyes are opened. And they wouldn't believe him. They said, well, we don't know who this other guy is. We don't know who you are. And they called his parents in, and his parents said, well, don't look at us. He's a, he's a man. You can question him yourself, because they didn't want to get in trouble either with the authorities. And then this guy starts telling them in, verse, in chapter 9, he says, you don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. And they get really upset now. And they said to him, verse 34, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And then Jesus has this communication with him and with the Pharisees. Verse 40, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this when he's talking to this guy. And he says, because he comes to the guy and he says, who, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm the one that you are seeking. And the Pharisees heard this and they said, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So out of all this... Then Jesus says these words, and he uses an amazing picture about a gate to describe who he is. We pick it up in chapter 10, verse 1. He says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, because they know his voice. 
but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever, all whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Thanks be to God for his reading. Now the people knew shepherding. The people of Israel had a long, long history of shepherding. Abraham was a shepherd, Isaac was a shepherd, Jacob was a shepherd, Moses was a shepherd for a time, David was a shepherd. They knew shepherds. It was in their history, in their DNA. If you did one of those Ancestry.coms, they would have just went, shepherd, 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 shepherd. Right? That would have been it. That's that's what they knew. And it was all around them. They were in a society where shepherds were there all the time. And also, of course, they knew that God pictures himself as their shepherd. Psalm 23. Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Ezekiel 34 that we looked at last time. God is going to be the shepherd of the people of Israel. And there's many, many other psalms and places in the Old Testament where God calls himself the shepherd of the people. So it's kind of there in their thinking. But it's also there in their seeing and all around them. Now the shepherd's task was quite a a lonely one, but it was also relentlessly vigilant. There were many, many animals around and people that wanted to take the sheep away. And the land around where Jesus was is not lush, green English countryside with nice, neat little hedges and nice pieces of grass. It's arid desert land. So the shepherd would take the sheep out and he would be out in the day trying to find bits of grass for them to eat. It's not like he's going, well, I'm going to go to field A today and then tomorrow I'm going to do field B and we'll have a nice rotation system and I'll just take them out like they do here. Get your couple of dogs along and off you go. It's not like that. They would go out and try and find some, some land that they could let the sheep graze on. And so they would go out and lead them out there. And at night time they would bring them back into the sheepfold. Now the sheepfold was just this kind of rough area in the village. So there was a, like a, just a, a wall around and an opening. Sometimes it was between the houses, sometimes it was a little bit outside. But like in Africa where you see what they call a boma. When I was in, in Africa they would, they would just make it out of sticks and, uh, and thorns and anything else they could find make a big area and that's where all the cattle stay it's got no gate on it it's no fancy design it's just an area that you've got sticks and a little wall around it to keep the cattle herded and the shepherd would bring the sheep in at night so everybody would come with their sheep however many they had and they would herd them in there into the, the sheepfold at night and then the shepherds together would pay for the hired hand. And now the hired hand's job was just to basically be a night watchman. He would be there 
paid by the shepherds to look after the sheep at night. When I was in Uganda all those years ago, we had a night watchman. His job, we paid him, was to sit there by the fire with his spear all night and make sure nobody attacked us in the middle of the night. He slept more hours than I did, but we still paid him nonetheless. Casseroni, his name was. He was there with his fierce spear, and I was always worried because we had latrine toilets that in the middle of the night he wouldn't recognize me and I'd get speared on my way to the toilet in the middle of the night, you know. But there he was. And it was like that with the hired hand. So the shepherds would bring them back in and they would then check out the sheep as they went one by one into the sheep pen. Make sure they didn't have anything stuck on them, that they were all healthy, that they were all okay. Look after them. Get them in the sheep pen and the hired hand would then sleep or or stay awake in front of the opening to make sure the sheep were all safe. And so there was a whole village full of people's sheep that would all be mixed in there together just for protection at night. That's the picture that Jesus is using here. And it says that only then the shepherds, so only those who have brought their sheep are allowed in and out of that doorway. You're paying the guy to protect them to look after them and to guard the doorway. So he's there lying across the entrance, making sure none of the sheep happen to wander out. And Jesus says, I am the gate. I'm the one that is there that gives you this access. So let's look at really what that means. He says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. Of course, because any of the shepherds could walk in and out to their sheep because they're paying the guy, he knows who they are. Anybody else who wants access to those sheep has got to climb over the wall at the back and sneak in. The man who enters the gate by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The first picture that we have here is one of protection. Jesus is saying, I am the one who will protect you. I am the one that is going to look after you spiritually. Why? Because I am there, my presence. I'm like the wall around and I'm going to be the gate in front. So when you're in me, when you're encompassed by me, you are safe. He says it most beautifully in Psalm 91. Let's turn there for a moment. It's a great psalm, isn't it? Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and hide you under His wings. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling... Even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
You will tread upon a lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. What an amazing psalm. But it's the same picture of God's protection around us. Now that doesn't mean that we won't have troubles. I remember when I was in, uh, on the west coast, Vancouver Island. I love it out there. And uh, you can sit there watching the Pacific Ocean. And I remember once I was sitting there, and there was this rock that was there, and the, the waves were just pounding it and pounding it and pounding it as they crashed against this rock. And the water would swirl and it would cover this rock that was there completely. And you'd think it had disappeared, that the rock had just kind of gone away. But then when the, when the swell went and the waters receded back out a little bit, you'd see that rock coming up again. And it was there, it was solid, and these waves just kept coming over and over, but the rock was not going to be moved. And as I sat there, I thought of the picture of our own lives. If we have a life that is protected by Christ, it's not that sometimes those waves don't break over us. It's not that He lifts us out of every problem that we have and just carries us over and puts us back on the other side. It's that He is the protection and the anchoring through it so that that wave may break on us, but we will not be defeated. We will not be overcome. We will not sink beneath the waves. And there is nothing that anyone or anything can do to take away that protective shield that Christ has said He has put around us. It means we go through those troubles. Because he is there like protecting us with that armour, the armour of God as we go through. And as we do that, he teaches us and he trains us and he grows us into the people he wants us to be. Some people think they become a Christian, then all my problems are going to be over. They're just starting. They're going to be even more problems you become a believer. Because you'll recognise them more. But you have the power and the protection of Christ through it all. He's like that wall that is protecting us. The gate. And he says to the enemy, no, you can't come through here. You're not going to get at my child because I'm protecting them. I'm going to surround them with my presence. My angels will lift them up when I need to. There is limits to how far you can go. I've got a, somebody gave me a card a knitted card, crochet card. It's on my desk in the vestry. It says, There is nothing that Christ and you cannot accomplish today. You know, when you have that partnership together with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have the protection that He promises here. And that you can go, therefore, with confidence. And we can praise in spite of our circumstances. Because we know that there is nothing that can defeat that barrier, that protective shield around us. The storm may roar about us, our heart may low be laid, but Christ is round about us. And nothing, we cannot be dismayed. Because of what he has done, because of who he is. But look, look further on. So he sets up that protective shield around us. Verse 3. 
just said, the watchman opens the gate for him, it's the night watchman, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So what the shepherd would do is that all the sheep are mingled in together. The shepherd would just go up there and go, David. And so this little sheep called David would come running out. You know, your land. This little sheep called your land will come running out. And he literally calls them. You know, Mike. Run out. Joan. It's always a stubborn one. Joan. (laughs) You know, come running out. And all the sheep will follow. Why? Because they know his voice. It's like when you, when you take your dog for a walk, you know? You used to have a little, little dog called Shandy. Shandy! He'd come running. He knew my voice. He knew it was me. And it's the same picture with the sheep. They wouldn't go in there and go, Oh, I think that one's mine. And I'm not sure about that one. And is that one? No, no, no. It's changed in the night, you know. Oh, I'll just take out... I, I brought in ten. I'll take out ten. No, they knew the name one by one. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. The second thing we see here is Jesus' guidance and leadership. He calls us by name, and he knows us intimately, as we looked at last week, just as we know him. And one of the things we need to do is to tune ourselves into the name and to the voice of Christ, so that we know when he is calling us. We know when he is saying, as our shepherd, David, this is what I want you to do. David, follow me here now. David, stop. Don't go anymore. David, do this. David, go and eat here. David, go and bathe, you know, we just know his name and we come attentive to listening to his voice. And we need that trust in him as he develops that trust or has that trust for us. Now, if you're leading someone, you need to have trust, don't you? I was going to get you, actually. No, I won't do it. All right. I was going to, what I was thinking of doing was just going out there and saying, come with me. And see, see how many of you follow. Because you know what would happen is eventually you would all follow. Because some of you would just get up and follow me. I'd say, come on, let's go out here. We'll go, follow me. And we'd go out there and you, you would kind of follow going, well, this is a bit unorthodox. Don't normally do this in the middle of a sermon. What's going on? And I had nothing out there. I was just going to go out there. And some of you would be following. Some of you would be going like, what's he doing? Like, this is not normal. What's going on with the guy? He's been overdoing it lately. Well, we better follow him, otherwise he'll be upset. Other people, you'll be going like, I'm not following him. This seat's nice. I've just warmed it up. It's comfortable. He'll be coming back in a minute. What's the point in going out there and then coming back in here? What a waste of time. I'm just staying here. I'm not going anywhere. And so you'll be going through all these mixed feelings about, well, what's he doing now? What's he want us for? Where are we going? What's going to happen? And it's a matter of trust as to whether you would follow or not follow. Isn't it? You would probably follow me because you kind of trust me and you know me. And so you go, well, he must have some kind of crazy scheme in his head. We'll just entertain it and go with him. We'll pray for him later, you know? But if you didn't know me, if I was a visiting person that was here going, oh, follow me, you'd be going like, what? 
well, maybe we should because otherwise we'll get embarrassed and he won't come back. Or what. But, but you'd be like wondering what's going on. What are we doing? How's, how's this, is this really, what's, what's happening? And here you have Jesus, the picture of Jesus, not only calling the sheep out one by one, but then he trusts the sheep to follow him because he leads them. He goes out. I could say, come on, follow me. I go out there and all of you just go, nah. And I'll be standing out there on my own. I'd probably go and get myself a coffee and then, you know, maybe just go home. You know? But like, Jesus is trusting you and me to follow him when he calls us. Isn't that something? He's not there with a big stick kind of walloping us around the rear end. You know, come on sheep, move. This is the way I want you to go. Come on, move, move. He's out there in front saying, David, follow me. Just follow me. You don't know where you're going. I'll show you. You just need to follow me. Just stay close behind. Follow me and I'll lead you. And that requires trust on our behalf to where God is going to take us. But trust on his behalf to us. Saying, I'm going to trust my children to follow. I don't know which trust is greater. Probably God's trust of you and me. Because unless he's going and looking over his shoulder every two seconds, he's just trusting that we're going to follow him where he wants us to go. He leads, we follow. Because there's that intimacy in relationship. He knows each sheep by name. He knows, in other words, you know the picture of Adam and Eve? What does he ask Adam to do? To name all the animals. Naming something has a sense of ownership over it. It's what it's all about. When you name something, when you name a pet, you name a dog, when you name a child, it's a sense of relationship and a sense of kind of responsibility over that. That's why you name it. You don't wait for your child to grow up and say, well, unknown. You know, you'll go through unknown until you can think of your own name. We don't do that. We say as a parent... I brought you into this world and I'm going to give you a name as that sense of responsibility and relationship as a parent to a child. And just in the same way, Jesus says, I know you by name. I know your name. I have that responsibility for you. And that, that sense of ownership, in a sense, over you. You're the sheep. I'm the shepherd. He leads us. He guides us. But then look at verses 7 to 10. He said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Firstly, he said that he's the only gate. I am the gate, not a gate. I am the gate for the sheep. In other words, Jesus, throughout his ministry, speaks about the exclusivity of faith. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Whether we like that or we don't like that, that's what Jesus says about himself. 
And in our culture today, that doesn't sit very easily with all the faith groups around us. But the Bible says, and in fact our next tag group is all about the exclusivity of faith. Be worth coming to that in May. But the Bible talks about, and Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the only way. And he says it in a whole raft of different ways. I am the vine. If you're not connected to me, you're cut off, dead. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, I am the gate. And whether we like that and how we grapple with that is a different sermon. But what he says is that he is the way. The only way. He is the one gate. There was no multiple gates to these, to these areas, the sheep pen. There was one gate. And Jesus says, that's me. And he says, only through me will you be saved. Now, saved from what? What are we saved from? What does it mean to be saved? Because saved doesn't always necessarily mean spiritual salvation. There are many ways in which we can be saved. So whoever enters through me will be saved. Well, he's been talking about saving from people around, from the thieves, from the robbers, from the wild animals, from all the dangers that's outside. So he's saying, if you come through me, you're going to be protected. If you come through me, you're also saved from just wandering off because I'm going to lead you, he said before, So you're saved from that meaningless kind of life that has no direction into one where he is guiding us. But also, he says, I'm saving you through access. You are the ones who are saved. You will go in, come in, and be able to go out and find pasture. So in other words, he's saying, if we are saved, we can come in to him We can go out from him. We have that freedom to come in and and go away from his presence. We can come in, in other words, into the heavenly courts. In Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about us being able to come in with confidence into his presence. Why? Because we have that relationship with him. When we stand before God, we're going to stand there with confidence. Not because of ourselves, but because we have a shepherd who says, these are my sheep, I know them. Talks about it in Matthew, and the sheep and the goats. You did all these things, and I'm going to say, I I never knew you, you weren't part of my sheep. You were doing all the same things, but you're not part of my flock. And he's saying here that we will be able to stand there with confidence because we will know, we know that we are part of the flock that Christ has brought in. We are the ones that has that access that can come and go as he leads us. But where do we go to? We go to find pasture. And what kind of pasture? Well, in verse 10, one of the most beautiful promises, I think, of Scripture. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That Jesus says, I'm going to take you to places of abundant pasture. That I'm not interested in leaving, leading you out to just scrubby little bits of grass that you're just going to, that are hardly going to fill you up. I've come, he says, that I'm going to lead you to the pasture where it's rich and full and you're going to have more than you, you can even handle. You're going to have life in all its fullness. You're going to have everything that this life is possible to, to, to have, to experience. 
That's what I want to, to plant within you. If you come into my sheep pen, if you become one of the flock, one of my flock, rather than one of the other people's flocks, this is what I am promising you. I am promising you love like you've never felt love before. Peace, which goes beyond all understanding, that the world cannot give. That's what I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give you my presence within you, my power within you to do things in your life and through your life that you never even dreamed possible. I'm going to give you my protection around you that's going to protect you throughout every danger in life. That you know whatever you're facing, that it will never ever be able to overcome you. Because I am going to promise that I will be with you, that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That you have my protection as a guarantee around you right throughout your life. And he promises all these things. I'm going to fill you with, his, with my presence. My Holy Spirit is going to be within you. My dwelling place is going to be in your life and in your heart. You're going to be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, connected to God the Father through the Spirit. You're going to have purpose because I'm going to lead you to where I want you to go. And so your life is not going to just be drifting on and on and on. Your life is going to be one full of purpose and meaning and direction. And I'm going to be the one that's showing you where to go. And all you need to do is follow me. This is what abundant life is all about. And I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to other people around you. You're going to be so alive in Christ because I am your shepherd if you just follow me. Because I have come as the gate. The way in which you can access all these things if you are willing to be my sheep and come into my sheep pen and follow me as the shepherd. Jesus promises all these abundant blessings on us individually, on us as his church, if we just learn to follow him. We need to see him as the shepherd that is leading his sheep. And that as we, as we trust him in where he is taking us, just in the same way he is trusting us to follow him, And not to deviate off the pathway and get lost. But as we trust him to follow him, then we will consistently see the radiance of all these blessings. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You know what full is? Full is when you can't have any more. That's when you're filling up your petrol tank and the thing goes off. And then you're like me and you go, oh, 53p, let me get it up to the next pound. And you're squeezing it in. And then it clicks off at 75 and you squeeze in a little bit more. And you keep on going until you... And then it goes to the 1p past. It, and then you go, oh, now I've got to get up to another 50. And, you, and it's just chocker. And then when you, when you drive out of there, all you can smell is petrol fumes everywhere because it is so full and it's not even sloshing around because there's no space left in it. That's how full he's talking about. That is what Christ is saying, I want my sheep to be like. Have that kind of fullness in their lives so that they will be a blessing to others around. 
We do that as we recognize Him as the gate. So what about you and me today? Where are we? Are you in that sheep pen? Are you, are you there going through difficulties today? And maybe those storms and those waves are crashing over you. Maybe you're feeling like there's, there's thieves that are coming in amongst you and trying to steal the joy away from you. Recognize that Christ is there protecting you. Give him praise in spite of circumstance. Lift your voice in spite of what's going on in your life. Because you know, if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, if you are one of those sheep, then whatever you are facing, he has protected you. That there will be, even though it may be tough, it will never overwhelm you. Because Christ will never allow that to happen. He says, that's enough. No more to my child. No more to my daughter or my son. That is enough. They will learn what I want them to learn, so they will grow into the people I want them to be. But I will not have them overwhelmed and defeated because my protection is around them. Or maybe today you're kind of feeling lost. They're saying, Lord, I need your guidance in these areas of my life. I don't see where you're leading me. Show me. Maybe you've wandered off the pathway a little bit. And he's leading you. And he's saying, David, follow me. Just follow me. David, are you still there? I'm not going to look around because I'm trusting you. Just keep following. Ask him to show you where he is. Ask him to call your name today. So that you may get back on track behind him. And go with him to the green pastures. That he wants you to, lead, to be in. Beside the quiet waters, as Psalm 23 describes it. Or maybe today, maybe you are following him. Maybe you just need more and more of that blessing from God. He is leading you. Praise him. He is protecting you. Praise him. And he is wanting to give you the fullness of everything that life has to offer. That's his goal. That's what he does in us. That's why he doesn't leave us alone. That's why he never, never leaves us. That's why he never leaves us be. He says, no, David, you haven't got hardly any of the fullness I want to give you right now. So I'm going to keep working in you. And I say, Jesus, keep working in me. Because I want it all. I want life. I want to experience what life is like in all the fullness that God can give me. And so, Lord, we ask today. We ask that you would give us that full life. But we know as we pray this prayer that to do that, you need to take stuff out of our lives. It's not you that is stopping the fullness. It is me. It is my selfishness and my greed and my, my arrogance and my pride and my own cleverness in thinking I can do this on my own. Lord, it's, it's so many different things in my life that stops that fullness being realized in me. And Lord, today we ask, we give you permission. We say, Lord, continue to do that work in us. 
Be the gate that opens. He said, you standing there knocking on the doorway of the gate of my life, saying, let me in. Let me come and do that work in you. So Lord, come. Come and do more and more and more of that refining work so that that promise of you, that we have life in all its fullness, may be a reality for each one of us. We thank you for your protection. We thank you for your leading and your guidance. And we thank you for your blessing that you continually pour out on us and on this, your church. For we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.